2 Corinthians chapter number 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and uh, I'm going to have Melissa stay at the piano and help me something here in just a second, and uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 9, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 6, 2 Corinthians chapter number 9, verse number 6, we'll read down to verse number 15, I want to preach to you maybe a little bit different kind of message uh, than we're used to around here, but I believe it'll be a help to us tonight, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 6, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, under inspiration of the Holy Ghost, says this, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound every good work, as it is written, He hath dispersed abroad, He hath given to the poor, His righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. By their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable Gift. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for this privilege, this opportunity to be in your house. I pray that you'd speak to the heart of each and every person here. Lord, may we draw nigh unto your presence. May we grow spiritually as the word of God is preached and as we respond in obedience. And may Christ be magnified in everything that takes place. Lord, we commit this time and this service unto you. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I want to take a few moments to you tonight, and I want to preach using all this passage, but I really want to preach centered around verse number 15. The Word of God says this, Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. I think we often associate that passage of Scripture with the Christmas season. I've preached on it at Christmas time, and I've preached on it at other times, and I've preached on the gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gift of salvation through God's precious Son. But you know, as I began to study this, and as I began to consider carefully what the Apostle Paul is saying in this passage, you know, it dawned on me that really Paul's not talking about Christmas. If anything, he's talking about Thanksgiving. In fact, Brother Charlie, he uses the term Thanksgiving in verse number 12. He says, for the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. And I began to think, what is it about this passage and the unspeakable gift of God that is so deeply connected? What is this unspeakable gift? I don't believe the Lord would point us towards that without uh, explaining both by the content and context of His Word what exactly He was thinking about what He was saying to us. And I began to meditate on this passage. I don't know how many of y'all that raised kids, I, you know, it, it depends sort of on the era that you lived in. And there, there's a song that came to my mind when I 
when I read this, and it, it, it ain't a gospel song, i got to admit to you, it ain't a gospel song. Maybe that's carnal of me. It's not a gospel song. It's not a hymn. It's not a spiritual song. But it's a kid's song. Some of y'all that raised kids, especially in the last maybe 30 years, you've grown up in the era of insufferable children's music. Somebody say amen to that. When marketers began to understand that all they had to do to turn to jelly the minds of the American population was just inject in their minds an inane, senseless bug of repetitive music, that once it's there, you can't get rid of it. It's like the glitter of the music world. Once it's there, it's just not going to go anywhere. And I began to think about some of these children's songs. I sent I sent Melissa a message, and and uh, you most of y'all ain't gonna know any of these. Uh, either that, or you're you're gonna have like flashbacks to them. One of the two. I don't know which, but but some of the kids will know them, and they'll get a kick out of it. But I, but I, I thought about some of these kids' songs. You know, one of them today. Uh, and don't act like you're spiritual just because you're hooked on Patch the Pirate. Amen. Somebody say amen to that. Don't think just because Ron Hamilton was living in your headspace that you're more spiritual. Uh, at the end of the day, it wasn't it wasn't his it, it wasn't his spiritual music. Amen. It was you know it, it was Kilimanjaro or whatever that the kids was interested in. But you know I began to think about some of these songs. My kids they they watch TV and and you say well preacher that's not real spiritual. No, but it keeps us sane. Amen. Sometimes. And uh, so they, they watch TV sometimes. We, we monitor closely what they watch. But there's one, I'm play that first one, Melissa. I bet the kids will know this one when they hear it. Any of y'all know that? PJ Mask, PJ Mask, PJ Mask. Night time is the right time to fight crime. Any of y'all know those that you know that kid? There's one there's one that's a lot older than that, and I grew up with this. I remember seeing the first episode of this one. So I wonder if they can remember this one. Play the next one here. Go, go, Power Rangers. Never stop. Yeah. This one was big when I was little. This next one was. Love me. Stop, stop, stop. I can't, I can't. Son. The Barney, the Barney age. But there was one, and, and if you, I don't know if you'll know this one or not. This is the one that came to my mind, uh, that I, that I thought I'd play this one right here. That never ends. It just goes on and on, my friends. Some people started singing it, not knowing what it was. And they'll just keep on singing it forever, just because this is the song that never ends. And it goes on and and Some people started singing it, not knowing what it was. And they'll just keep on singing it forever, just because it is. A, and it just, that's, that's, that's it. It just goes and goes and goes. Until finally, until finally you just can't handle it anymore and you just leave this world. And, uh, I, that was a song that, thank you, Melissa. That's good. That was a song that was on a show called Lamb Chops. Anybody remember? Did your kids ever watch it? Oh man. Yeah. The, um, Lamb Chops. Let me tell you something. There's something deeply psychologically wrong with creating a children's show with a talking lamb puppet and naming it Lamb Chops. That would be like, 
creating a show for you or I as adults with human beings and calling it cannibalism. Amen? <laughs> there's something disturbing about that. But there's a reason that song came to my mind. There's a reason I thought about it. That hook, that song that never ends, that was really what drove you so mad about it. And some of y'all, I'm going to be getting angry text messages at 2 a.m. because you're going to be laying in bed singing some of those things. They're going to be stuck, just emblazoned in your brain. And and, and the thing that was so miserable about that song, it just it never ends. I mean, once you come to the end of the of the hook, it just rolls over and it starts, and it just never, never ends. You know, in our passage this evening, when the Bible talks about God's unspeakable gift. The term unspeakable here, it doesn't mean you can't talk about it. It doesn't mean you can't speak on it necessarily, but what it means is it cannot be exhaustively told, this gift that God gives to us. And you say, preacher, what is that unspeakable gift? I'll tell you, it's gratitude. Can I say to you tonight, gratitude is the song that never ends. You say, preacher, what do you mean by that? Well, I want you to notice the remainder of this passage. And I just want to notice some things that God showed me. I don't even know what this is going to be as, as a sermon. But I noticed a few things in this passage. When we go back to the beginning of, of sort of where we began our reading down in, in, in verse number 6, it begins with this, this topic of giving unto the Lord. And it says this, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. In other words, how much we give determines how much we get. And not necessarily talking about accruing material wealth to ourselves, but how many of you know this to be a truism of life? That if you don't put nothing into something, you ain't going to get nothing out of anything. You've got to put something into something. You've got to invest energy and time and effort. And the more you do, the more you'll get out of it. And this is a biblical principle. But you know, God goes even further than that. And He says this in verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That's the kind of grace I want. That's how much grace I want. I want all grace abounding towards me. But how does He do that? He says that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, and it begins to quote the book of Psalms, chapter 112. It says, as it is written... He hath dispersed abroad. He hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. So we have this biblical principle that is set forth of sowing and reaping in a person's life. What you put into something is what you get out of something. And here we have this principle expressed in the book of Psalms. The Apostle Paul is quoting Psalms 112 verse 9. And it's talking about the behavior and life of a good man. I think that an argument could be made that it looks beyond just a righteous man and it looks to the only good one that has ever lived, and that's the Lord Jesus. There's probably something messianic and prophetic about that psalm, but the immediate context is it's giving the characteristics of a righteous man. And it says, He hath dispersed, He hath given to the poor, His righteousness endureth forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. So we have a pattern developing here. And I want you to notice it with me in this principle. First, we have the gifts of God spoken of. It says, as it is written, He hath dispersed abroad. Now, it's easy to imagine this is talking about simply the righteous man, but I believe it looks further than that. Because when it talks about the dispensing of something to someone, down in verse 10, it says, Now, he that ministereth seed to the sower, both ministereth bread for your food and multiply your seed. Some. Who is it that gives seed to the sower? 
Who is it that puts seed upon this earth for mankind to perpetuate and to grow and to develop things? Uh, we may be able to take seed from a past harvest and plant it for a new one and a fresh one. But there was only one that put seed here on this earth, and that's God Himself. When He created things, He set up a system. He set up a process whereby man had the ability to have his needs met. And it looks something like this. Mankind is the recipient of God's blessing. Uh, Adam and Eve, when they were put in, in the garden, there was already things growing there for their sustenance, for their survival. They couldn't have... The Bible doesn't say that God planted man in the east and man planted a garden in the east. It says God planted a garden in the east and He put man in it to work that garden and to enjoy that garden. So the first seed that ever existed on this world was given by the hand of God. God gave it to Adam. And Adam was able to enjoy that food, enjoy that produce, enjoy that fruit, and then take that seed that he had been given. And he was able to take it and cast it, broadcast it, distribute it out away from him. And in doing so, that seed took root in the ground and it multiplied. It brought forth even more produce and more fruit. What did Adam then do? Well, he went, he harvested it, and he ate of it. And then he had more seed to sow. Then he went and he harvested that and he ate it and then he had more seed to sow. And so this cycle of life has continued throughout human history. And in fact, the Bible tells us will continue until uh, the earth is destroyed or renovated by fire, however you prefer to say that. But we find that it all begins with the gift of God to humanity. And here in our passage, when it talks about the righteous man and it says he hath dispersed abroad, I think what is implicit here is that he wouldn't have something to disperse had God not given it to him in the first place. Can I tell you this unspeakable gift in your life and mine? You know how it begins? It begins with the goodness and grace of God. It begins by acknowledging that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. We often uh, come to the Thanksgiving season and approach it from the perspective of saying, I'm going to pick the things that I'm proud of that God's done and brag on Him. But you understand that there wouldn't be nothing in your life or mine we'd have were it not for the good hand of God upon us. So it begins with the gift of God. But then we see the gratitude of the gracious. Rather than hoarding this unto himself, rather than keeping this unto himself, because he's been given it of God, the Bible says the righteous man he hath given to the poor. In other words, we could say it this way, God blesses us so that we can bless other people. What then happens when we do that? And by the way, let me say we, we owe it to the Lord. We don't owe it to other people, but we owe it to the Lord to be used of Him in the life of others. God doesn't listen. He don't give us the thing He gives us with just so we can uh, climb up on top of it and sit down and guard it and pretend and act like we've really got something great and glorious. We do that, we're worshiping that instead of the God that gave it. It was a great day, by the way, in Abraham's life when he began to say, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my inheritance. Not I've got inheritance from the Lord, but he began to say, the Lord Himself is my inheritance. In other words, the things God has blessed us with, He hasn't blessed us with so that we can uh, dig a hole and, and, and have a hoard of money or a hoard of, of means or a hoard of, of leisure or whatever it is. And by the way, I'm not, I don't think God hates a rich man. I don't think He necessarily uh, exalts a, a poor man for the sake of being poor. None of this is class associated. I'm just merely saying God didn't bless you and I just so that we could uh, scoop it all into ourselves and hang on to it and feel better about what we've got. 
Why did He give it to us? Well, He gave it to us so that He could use us to minister in the lives of others. And if we're truly grateful to God, we're going to seek to do that. You know why that is? Because we're seeking to emulate the God that has been so good to us. Therefore, we're going to take that and try to put it into the lives of others. So we see the, the gratitude of the gracious He hath given to the poor. But it does not end there. It says then, His righteousness remaineth forever. Now, let's be honest about the Word of God and ask ourselves, what does this mean? Now, maybe a person could suggest that charitableness and, and kindness and, and, and generosity has the ability to to infuse a man with a righteousness, with a permanence that is beyond merely what we get from getting saved. But, you know, the problem is that's going to mess up every bit of your theology. <laughs> that's going to go contrary to all the Word of God. When I read my Bible, I find uh, that God saves the sinner and He doesn't save him with just part salvation. He doesn't just save him with a lower level of salvation, but He saves him completely and thoroughly and exhaustively. And I'm saying this, that a person, be they greedy or be they generous, if they are saved, they are as saved as the next person. So I don't think we could say what it's saying is that his righteousness is somehow of greater quality uh, because he is generous and because he gives to others because he seeks to meet their needs. I don't think that's what it's saying. Now, maybe we could suggest this, that what it's saying is a person can only stay saved if they're generous. If that's the case, boy, every one of us is in a mess. Because the truth is, if any any criteria of righteousness and morality was the standard by which uh, positional righteousness, in other words, how God sees us and the fact that we're saved, if it was dependent upon that, none of us go to heaven because none of us deserve it. Uh, the Bible says our attempts at righteousness are as filthy rags in His sight. But you know, there's another way we could read that and understand it. And I believe here we hit on the nail, of, uh, the, the head of the nail of what God's saying. What He's saying is this. If a man in righteousness invests in the life of another person in grace and in generosity and in, in compassion, that act then lives on in the life of that person. That person doesn't forget what's been done with it. Uh, at least we hope that they don't. And that act of righteousness, you see, it's just like the seed that God gives. You can eat up the fruit and you can swallow the seed or you can take that and just throw it down on, on hard ground and it'll all die there. But if you take that and invest it, put it back in the ground, you know what it does? It starts to bring up more fruit in other places. Now, that tells me this, that this whole thing ain't about God just filling our bellies. It's about God doing something further than just that. Let me tell you something, I, and I don't mean this in an ugly way. Please don't think I do, but I'm just trying, I'm trying to tell you something that will help you. If you think that giving unto the Lord or letting God use you to minister to the lives of others, if you think that's about finances, it's a mark of spiritual immaturity. It's a mark of, of narrow perspective. It's a mark of ignorance relative to what God's trying to do. You know that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and He don't need you or me to help make His bills. I think it was Maze Jackson. You say that God owns the thousand, uh, the cattle on a thousand hills, and He owns the hills, and He owns the taters in the hills. Amen. He doesn't need you and I to help make His bills. So if He is, if He is inducting us, initiating us into this process, it's not because He needs us; it's because He loves us and He desires to do something in us. And what we find is this: that the way that we make gratitude something of permanence. Uh, the way that we make the walk with Christ that we have uh, something of far-casting, of broadcasting influence is to minister in the lives of other people. 
If you take what God's done for you and bury it away and hoard it and, and, and swallow it away and pretend like it don't exist, it's just there for your consumption, it'll die right there with you. And you won't be helped by it. Nobody will be helped by it. But if you'll take it and broadcast it out like that seed that's sown, not only, by the way, will it grow another fruit, but then that fruit will grow another fruit. And then you'll have more fruits than that. They'll grow more fruits and they'll grow more fruits and they'll grow more fruits. And that's what he says when he says he'll multiply your seed sown. So I see a principle that is expressed here. But then in the next verse, we find that God explains it. We see this principle explained. And he goes into further detail. Uh, we see in verse number 10, Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. In this uh, passage, he's no longer speaking solely about the righteous man, but he's speaking about what God seeks to do because God is the one that ministereth seed to the sower. And he reveals that in blessing us, God is doing three things. First, we note that God is doing a supplying work in your life and mine. I love the way the Bible says it. He that ministereth seed to the sower both ministereth bread for your food and multiply your seed sown. It's interesting that uh, here the blessings of God are described in terms of seed that's given. Every blessing we have has come from the Lord. What he's saying is this. It is true God blesses you because He wants your life to be a blessed life. Now understand, listen, I'm not up here. I ain't got a fancy enough suit to be up here preaching a prosperity message. Amen? That's not what I'm interested in doing. I ain't got, I ain't got white enough teeth. I ain't got enough hair on my head. There's a hundred reasons I can't do that. And that's not what I'm trying to do. But I am saying this. If we define the blessings of God biblically, it's true God wants every believer to have a blessed life. Now if we only define the blessings of God temporally, secularly, then of course it's not true that by that criteria God would want everybody. It ain't the will of God for everybody to have a Learjet. Somebody say amen to that. Only politicians that preach at us about climate change. Those are the only ones apparently it's the will of God for them to have a Learjet. But you and I, it ain't, it ain't, you, you're not even allowed to have an eight-cylinder. Somebody say amen to that. It, it's not always the will of God for you to have the... And I'm not, I'm not suggesting it is, but I am saying this. If we have any blessings in our life whatsoever, it's because God has provided them to us. And that tells us this, that God desires to meet our needs. God desires to meet your needs in your life. God wants us, and I think the Word of God is abundantly clear about this, makes it, makes it, uh, makes it uh, abundantly clear that God wants us to treat Him as our Father. He is, in fact, our spiritual Father if we've been born again. And what does that entail, that role? A father does a lot of things, but I think we'd all acknowledge that the primary thing that a father does in the heart of the home is he provides for that home. I don't think God would have pointed that analogy out if He didn't want us to understand that He has a desire to meet our needs. Over and over again in the Bible, in the New Testament, Christ teaching His disciples about prayer. He says, you ought to ask, you ought to seek, you ought to, you ought to knock. If you ask God for something, He's not going to, He's not going to hamstring you. He's not going to switcheroo you. He's not going to give you something that you don't want and make you feel like a fool in thinking that you were asking for something different. No. He says, listen, your heavenly Father knoweth what you have need of before you ask, but He has commanded you to ask that that relationship might be fostered, nourished, and developed. God's doing a supplying work in your life and in mine. But then I notice something else. He says not only does He minister bread for your food, but He also multiplies your seed sown. And maybe we'll be a little redundant here, but let me just point out again, there are two purposes of seed in this world. One is that it produces food. 
That's why it exists. God planted that garden in the east and, and God in fact planted the whole world with, with the means and, and the ability for man to survive upon what He had blessed them with. And He gave them fruit and He gave them vegetables and gave them all kinds of things uh, that had the ability to provide food for them. That's one of the things that seed does. But you know, God could have just had every single seed be a throwaway seed and somewhere there's a magic seed dispensary that you go and fill up a bag. But God instead designed it so that that seed would produce more seed. So there's two reasons for it. Listen carefully. One is for the food, but two is for the future. God's doing something beyond just the satisfaction of that moment. God's doing something beyond just the meeting of that, the meeting of that present need in a person's life. God is doing a perpetuating Work. And he says that the, the one that gives you seed to the sower, the one that, that, that provides to the sower what he needs, both to provide for the present and to reach out and to grab hold of the future, he's the one that ministers bread for your food. He's the one also that multiplies your seed sown. So God doesn't just want to take that blessing and it be a blessing in your life. God's not that nearsighted. God wants to take that blessing in your life and make it a blessing in somebody else's life. God wants to take that which He has blessed you with and endowed you with and you to then take that and carry it and be a blessing to somebody else. Then you know what you got? You don't just got one blessing, you got two blessings. This is, I know, I wasn't raised on Common Core, but we'll work through it together, okay? Uh, Listen, now you've got just not just one blessing, but now you've got two blessings. But now wait a minute, what then comes beyond that? Well, it says this, God is doing the supplying work. God's doing the multiplying work. Then He says this, here's what He does. And He'll increase the fruits of your righteousness. And it's interesting because He says in the passage He quotes from Psalms 112 that His righteousness remaineth forever. Now it's one thing to remain something forever. Back in, I don't know when it was, was it 1999 that Tennessee won a national championship? Was that? 98, way back, whenever. <laughs> whenever <laughs> Got a football crowd here. And you know, we've kept that national title ever since. It's true. Sometimes we, sometimes we keep it with Nick Saban. Sometimes we keep it with, uh, you know, Dabo Sween at Clemson. Sometimes we keep that, uh, national championship with, I think we've kept it in Oregon. I think we've kept it in Oklahoma since that time. I, I think we've kept it in Florida State with, with Charlie since that time, but we've kept that national title. You know, that national title, they can't take it away from us. They can take our dignity. They can take our talent. They can take our finances. They can take our joy out of the game of football. But they cannot take that national title. Somebody ought to holler hallelujah there. Amen. We might as well talk about it. We don't get to watch it this year. Amen. You see, that national title remains. It's ours. It's here. It's there. It is a matter of record in history that, yes, indeed, at one time, Tennessee did win a national title in football. And they can't take it away unless they memory hold it and scrub it from the history books. Maybe they will, but, but apart from that, it's just, it's there and it'll exist forever. But you know, it'd be nice. It'd be nice not just to have our, our, our title remain. It'd be nice to have our title increase every now and then. Somebody say amen there. It'd be nice if every now and then we got a few more rings. Amen. I don't, I don't understand why Nick Saban gets all of them. Man, he got, he's got more rings than fingers anyway. Amen. He's got them for different days of the week. Boy, it'd be nice if we got a few more before it was all said and done and the Lord came back. I don't know if that'll happen or not. I don't know if we'll ever play football or not, but, but, but boy, it'd be nice if that was to happen before it was all said and done. You see, it's one thing to say about a man's righteousness that what he does 
lives on in the life of another person. It perpetuates. It doesn't go away. It takes a life beyond just its own immediate action and it lives in the life of another person. But now it's another thing to say that it increases. In other words, God doesn't just take that blessing and make it a blessing in the life of another person, but He also takes that spiritual lesson in your life and makes it a spiritual lesson in the life of another person. We're getting a little close to you understanding why I sang children's songs at the beginning of this message. So hang on. You ought to, you ought to stick around at least until you can figure that out why. But we have the principle explained here, and it basically is this. God's doing a supplying work. When God blesses us, He does want to bless us. God's doing a multiplying work. When God blesses us, He wants to use that blessing to bless others. Now, we can draw an easy line in the financial world between God blessing us and us using that in the lives of another person. But you know, it ain't just that. I mean, listen, God, God has put me through experiences or you through experiences that He has used to educate us, to be able to encourage other people, to be a comfort to other people, to be a blessing to other people. We could talk about the way that God has given us skill sets and abilities in life that maybe other people might not be able to do. And and, and we can use that to be a blessing. I mean, whatever it is that God's done in your life, you know what you ought to be saying? I don't want to just pile up on top and sit on top and guard this thing. I want God to use this in the life of another person. But then we see that God's not only doing a supplying work and a multiplying work, we see that God's doing a sanctifying work. Because God is growing you and I spiritually through this process. Not only that, but God hopefully is growing some other people spiritually through what He's doing in our lives. And there we come to the third point. I want you to notice we find in this passage the principle expressed. We find the principle explained... And then finally, the Apostle Paul, he turns and looks at the Corinthian believers and he says, you know, you folks are a good example of this principle. We find the principle exemplified. And he says in verse number 12, and he's been talking about their giving and their obedience to God. And he said, you know, God's blessed you and and you live in a state being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God for the administration of of this service, not only supplies the one of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men and by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. Now listen, I, I understand. The Apostle Paul's spiritual gift was run on sentences. Amen. I understand that. When, when, when the Holy Ghost would speak through him, I guess Paul's just wound up, he didn't even want to stop and take a breath. And sometimes it can be a little difficult to unravel everything that's being enumerated in that passage because it just, it's, it's relentless, like waves pouring over us of truth that's given. But if we stop and just unpack it, we notice three things here. We notice that God is working in their life and God is blessing them in three ways. One, by the enrichment of their lives. He says in verse 11, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. Now, here's what it looks like. We can use the analogy of the fruit and seed and, uh, and, and you know, produce and agriculture. Again, God has blessed us with that initial blessing, just as He gave to mankind that initial produce, that initial plant life, that initial living thing. Mankind partakes in that. You know what that ought to produce in us, right? That ought to cause in us many thanksgivings unto God. So that God has not just uh, met our need, but He has also developed us spiritually. Gratitude is a product of grace. 
You know why we're grateful to God? Because we're aware of what God's done for us. He's the one that supplieth seed to the sower. He's the one that ministereth bread for our food. So already we've grown spiritually because we've acknowledged that God did something in our life and it has produced in us a gratitude, a thanksgiving that was not already there. We have the enrichment of, of our lives. And then we see in verse 12, their investment in the lives of others. It says, now you've taken this thing and you've administered it. He says in verse 12, for the administration of this service not only supplieth the wants of the saints. Can I say this? That uh, in your life and mine, God seeks us to be a conduit of His blessings in the lives of others, of us meeting the needs of other people. Now, that's not to suggest that you or I can meet every need in a person's life, nor is it to suggest that we ought to pour ourselves out unto poverty uh, so that others might live uh, in a cavalier way or in a reckless way. I don't think God's called any of us to be a fool. Somebody say amen to that. But it is to suggest that it's the will of God and it's the way of God that we be a blessing and help to other people. You know, part of the reason there's so many government programs today is because we've allowed the government to displace the church in people's lives. By the way, can I just say this as a pastor? It's part of the reason that, listen, uh, that, that pastoral authority and church discipline has been gutted in the modern church today. There was a time when if the church said, hey, listen, if you don't live right, if you don't do right, we'll put you without fellowship. That could have meant a person going hungry. Could have been a person going without protection. And so it had power, it had teeth, it had meaning. Nowadays, if a church looks at someone and says, listen, you're living in sin, and, and we're, we try to bless you, and we try to help you, and we try to meet your needs, but you can't live in sin this way, and be a, be ashamed of the name of Christ, and expect us to help you, they say, that's alright, preacher, I'll just go down and sign up for a program. And it's gutted the ability of the church to use church discipline. By the way, church discipline is restorative by nature. It's not punitive by nature. The purpose of it is not to drive somebody else. Hey, it's to bring them back in. It's a sad thing that we live in that day. But God's way was always for the church to be able to meet that need and not for the church to be a feeding prop to everybody that doesn't want to work or doesn't want to provide for themselves that has the means to do so. Paul said if a man doesn't work, he ought not eat. But I do think that it was originally God's intention and design that those of the household of faith, those who had been born again, that they would find a means of help and assistance through the house of God. And you know, when we talk about the house of God, what we're really talking about is the people of God. Because it's the people of God that make the house of God. It's not about the brick and it's not about the drywall and the pews and the, and the sound system. It's about the people. In other words, it was always God's intention and way that He used His people to be a blessing to His people. Always. And we find in this passage, we find that that part of the way that this principle is lived out is by the enrichment in their lives. But number two, by the investment in the lives of others. And then what does that produce? Remember I told you, you got one fruit, and you eat that fruit, and you plant the seeds from that fruit, and now you have more than one fruit. you got multiple fruit because you've grown a tree, or you've grown a plant, or whatever it might be, and you produce more than what you originally had. Well, look what it says at the end of verse 12. It says, but it's abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. So in verse number 11, it says it causeth thanksgiving to God. That's one, that's singular, right? It causeth thanksgiving unto God. But in verse 12, it says it's abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. You say, preacher, why is that? Because now it ain't just that first person praising God for His goodness. Now it's that second person doing it as well. Then as God blesses that first person and that second person again, well, you know what a pyramid scheme is. You've done sold steak knives or phone cards or whatever it is. You understand how it works. 
You understand that then, I, I, then, then all of a sudden now that first person's praising God because God's been good to them. Uh, but now that second person is taking what God's done for them. And now they're both investing in the lives of other people. Now you don't just have two, you've got at least four. And then you don't just have four, man. Then you got at least 16. You understand this, this is how it works in soul winning in anything. It's the basic principle of multiplication of, uh, uh, of compounded powers. And God's desire is not just to help us by the enrichment of our lives, but also by our investment in the lives of others. And then listen to what it says. Verse 13, I'm going to mention this, say something about it and be done. It says, whilst by the experiment of this ministration. In other words, you know what an experiment is, right? That's something you observe. That's what an experiment is, isn't it, Brother Charles? It's something, Brother Fred, you observe. You're doing an experiment. You, you want to see the outcome. That's the purpose. You want to see the outcome, so you watch this experiment. He says, by the experiment of this ministration. What ministration? God blessing you, you blessing other people. What do they do? They glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. And by their prayer for you. Hey, listen, there, there, ain't, there ain't much that I own that I could give to you that would be more valuable than your prayers for me. I'm going to say that again. I'm not sure if you got it. You're still turkey hung over. There is not much that I own that I could give that's worth more than your prayers for me. If you pray for me, you're putting me in debt to you. A debt that I could never repay. That's a big thing that they pray for you. It says, by their prayer for you, which long after you, the, for the exceeding grace of God in you. Man, what an amazing thing. It's no wonder, by the way, that Paul in the next phrase, he just says, Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. He's overcome at the brilliance, at the wisdom and prudence of this system God's developed of growing people, spiritually speaking. And what he says is this, these people watch you obey God. And they're blessed in their lives, and they're blessed by watching you obey God. And so you know what they do? They begin to pray for you. And they begin to pray that the grace of God would be real in your life. And they begin to pray the grace of God be real in their life. You know what then happens? God then blesses them. You know what they then do? They take that blessing of God and they invest it in the life of somebody else because that's what they've been taught to do. They invest it in the life of somebody else. And then that other person, now, now you're thanking God and they're thanking God. And then whoever this third person, now they're thanking God because God used them to meet a need in their life. And then all of a sudden they're starting to watch how that God's growing you and blessing you and using you. And now they covet that and they long after that. They want you to have that, but they want themselves to have that as well. Can I just put it real simple like this? God blesses us. We thank God for that gratitude or for that blessing. We respond in gratitude to God's blessing. We take that blessing. We put it into the life of another person. Thereby, we grow spiritually. What happens when we live in obedience to God? What does God do for us when we're obedient to Him? He blesses us. But now we've got somebody else that's living in obedience to God because they've seen what we've done in our life. But now wait a minute. We just, we just were obedient to God. So you know what He does? He's blessing us again. What do we do then with that blessing? Well, God blessed us. We're going to bless somebody else. We're going to thank God and bless somebody else. And now we've got these folks over here thanking God for His blessing and pouring it into the lives of others. And we're still thanking God for His blessings and pouring it into the life of others. You see, gratitude in and of itself is one of the supreme blessings of God because we grow spiritually thereby. Let's simplify it a little further. Blessing, gratitude, 
grow. Let's, let's say it this way. Gifts, gratitude, grow. Growth produces gifts. Gifts produces gratitude. Gratitude produces growth, which produces gifts. Which You with me now? This is the song that never... You thought I was crazy when I was doing that, didn't you? You thought, oh my, we're going to have to have a business meeting and talk about this preacher after church tonight. You see, gratitude is that song. It never ends. That's why it's unspeakable. Because the moment you begin to praise God for it, the moment you begin to thank God for it, it produces spiritual development in your life. Because gratitude is produced by the grace of God in our lives. Then all of a sudden, guess what? Now we've got more to praise Him for. So we praise Him. So you know what that does? That produces more spiritual growth in our life. Now we got more to praise Him for. You know, you might wonder sometimes how we could spend all eternity praising God. But after I read this passage, I don't, I don't struggle with it a bit. I can see how we could spend all of eternity just giving God glory that belongs to Him because of His blessings upon our life because it is a self-perpetuating thing. Now, somebody's going to say, well, that's a good preacher, but that ain't what I see in Christians. And can I be honest? I see it in some, but, but there are some I don't see it in. There are some that, that do their own thing. There are some that do what a foolish farmer would do. And, and that's eat up all of the fruit and throw away the seed. You know what that person is? They're a consumer, but they're not a producer. You know part of the problem in our life spiritually? You know why we dry up on the vine? You know why we get bitter? You know why we get discontent and, and, and fickle and neurotic and petty? You know why that happens? Because we're eating the fruit and we're throwing away the seed. We're, we're absorbing the blessing of God in our life. But then we're not taking it and using that in the life of another person. And you know what happens? We, we get same thing happened to you on Thursday when you ate and ate and ate and ate. Have I ever told you Thanksgiving's my favorite time of the year? I'm ready, man. I don't I don't know if we even have a Christmas tree or lights or anything. I don't know if we even bought our kids anything for Christmas. But I got special pants and a special plate for Thanksgiving. Amen. I look forward to it all year. It's my day. I mean, I'm just excited about it. But you know that feeling you have? You know what happens if you just stuff yourself full? You feel lethargic. You know what happens if somebody tries to prod you out of that lethargy? You get cranky. When somebody, if somebody tries to come along and say, hey man, get up. Come on, let's go do something. Ah! You don't want to get up. You get cranky. You get impatient. You get fat. It's not a healthy thing, is it? You know why? Because all you're doing is consuming, 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 consuming. And how many of us in our spiritual life, all we do is consume? God blesses us. We scarf down the fruit, throw away the seed, and forget God ever did anything for us. And you know, the sad thing is, it never was about the food in the first place. It was always about the faith. It was always about how God could grow us spiritually. I think we ought to learn to get just jump on in somewhere in some stanza, some chorus, some verse of this unspeakable gift, this never-ending song, this song that every time you try to tell it, there's more to tell about it. And I think we ought to make our lives a conduit for the help and blessing and ministry of God in the lives of others. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. The altar is open and it's always open. You know you can deal with God anytime He speaks to you. So I invite you to come if He spoke to your heart. Father, I love You. I thank You for Your goodness in my life, Lord. Thank you for blessing me so immensely and help me to be a blessing in the lives of others. Help me to take these things and pour them in the lives of others and be used of you in a mighty way. Lord, I love you and I ask it in Jesus' name.